Shall we begin? Let's begin. Oh my goodness! Oh my goodness! Riley McGree with a scorpion kick. Two nil. Connor Metcalf. What a hit from Cameron Devlin. Finally, Nathaniel Atkinson. They've got that second goal, and it's with a first touch for Tilio. This is the Soccer Who's podcast, the show all about Australian football as we look to unearth the next generation of Socceroos who will one day wear the green and gold. Welcome back to the Soccer Who's podcast. G'day, my name is Lockie. It's great to be with you and a special welcome to the four people who knew what Cooper was before the start of this week. As always, I've got James with me. How are you going today? G'day, mate. And enlighten me, what is Cooper? I believe it's the new car that's going to revolutionize Australia. They've also jumped on board and are sponsoring both the Matildas and the Socceroos. So big ups to Cupra. Thanks for giving money to our sport because it is needed. I guess because the APL, who runs the A-Leagues, and the FA are separate, there's not really a massive conflict of interest. But it's always exciting when there's sponsorship announcements. It means that there's more money for the sport. Exactly, mate. Exactly, mate. And like, I'm personally going to go out and buy a, a Coop. A Cooper. 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 I'm going to go out and buy a Cooper for sure. Yeah. If Definitely. I had the 40 grand to be able to afford a Cooper, you can bet your bottom dollar that I'll be there. Electronic car as well, isn't it? Exactly. Wow. I'm, we're not being paid by Cooper, so this is definitely not a sponsored bit. But if you're listening, Cooper, if you're one of the four people who knew what a Cooper was before the start of this week because you worked there, we're open to giving you a test drive and giving a fair and reasonable review of it i mean i'm a fan of electric vehicles i am too i'm also a fan of australian football and that's what this podcast is about it's not about (laughs) electric vehicles so let's get right into this with what went wrong in australian football within the past week it's a little bit of a segment we've started because there always just seems to be something going wrong and i've got a little bit of a special thing this week that's right you know what this means i actually don't mate it's media watch wow Everyone's favourite public broadcasting television show that analyses what's happening within the media landscape. And we've got a little bit of a media watch thing going on within Australian football because this morning, time of recording, one of the heroes of Australian football, Bozza, he slept through his alarm, missed out on his Stan Sport gig, had to let Craig Foster and Max Rushton do the broadcast, apologise to people at the end. Uh, And I'd just like to say that, Bozza, I can relate. I'm... I'm feeling pretty tired right now, but I will push through. I will do this podcast recording for the people that listen to this. Stakes aren't quite as high, right? I mean, also haven't stood best of us, really. Every human being probably has slept through their alarm at least once. So it's just unfortunate for Bozza that, you know, he's got a bit of a platform and a bit of a public presence. So people notice. His apology was pretty fun. I mean, it, it's a good bit. It's a good bit. If it happens to anyone but Bozza, I don't think it would be nearly as funny, but yeah. I think Boz has kind of built a reputation for himself of being that slight, meme kind of guy. And he's so a larrikin. He's yeah, a true he's a larrikin. larrikin. So it works for him. And the other one that I think is even more interesting happened on TikTok, and that kind of spoken about on Twitter a little bit as well. The A-League Central TikTok account made it TikTok that essentially, in essence, was like, why would you wake up at 3 a.m. to watch the Premier League? I think there were some clown emojis involved. And they used a screenshot of an Optus Sport promo. A-League Central not affiliated with the A-League. Exactly. Just a, just a fan account, A-League Central, 
made this TikTok saying, why on earth would you wake up to watch the Premier League when you have the A-League in your own backyard? You can watch local games, go watch the A-League men's or the A-League women's. And the Football Australia official account responded, giving it a thumbs up, I believe. And then whoever the Optus Sport admin was, wasn't exactly the happiest by it. They said, why are we on this? We're not stopping anyone supporting local, so we're not sure what the clowns call is about. Incredibly tone-deaf response from the FA. What do you make of this? I mean, if you didn't want to look the clown, don't play the part of a clown. Okay. Just don't respond. There was no need to respond, and not the sport, I think, showing maybe a bit of insecurity. Mm. It is interesting. Obviously, they're not the rights holders to any of the Australian games. Optus maybe even missed out. I don't know what the bidding war was like to get the A-Leagues or the Socceroos and Matildas matches, but I do find it fascinating that the product that Optus Sport provide is tailored more to a stereotypical Euro snob, and I use air quotes that you can't see. And so I can see a little bit of fragility almost there when I agree with you, probably didn't need to respond. And even some of the stuff that's produced by Optus Sport it's a high-quality platform, a high-quality product. It's, I would say, better than Paramount+, Plus, at least on a technical level, and, and even some of the content they produce is world-class, is fantastic. But I don't know. I, I feel like when it's convenient, they're big supporters of the Socceroos and Australian sport, but they're also happy to jump on the bandwagon of ripping into them as well. So it's a funny one, isn't it? It is, and I mean, <laughs> I think the most tone-deaf, response was by Optus themselves, which is a bit ironic because that's what they were accusing the FA of being. Yeah. I mean, they're also a telco, so you think that they should be able to be pretty good at responses. They're meant to be on it when it comes to communications and the communications team maybe let them down a little bit. Evidently so. Let's move on. Let's chat about what's been happening around the ground in Australian football because you presented a list to me that is as long as... I've had to scroll a couple of times to get through this list. I don't know whether we're going to get through it all. I think we'll just pick some of the, the best players because there have been a lot of Australians playing overseas and on Australian shores within the past week. So let's kick off in Australia. Craig Goodwin, breaking records, becoming Adelaide's all-time record goal scorer with a brace just the other day. That's not a bad ball. It's 1-1. It's Craig Goodwin, who is a history maker. He's broken Bruce Jutte's all-time A-League scoring record for the Reds with his 36th goal for Adelaide United. And it's 1-1. Well, the bouncy ball has beat the ball. It's Goodwin! Craig Goodwin has won the points for Adelaide United, probably with the last attack. Extraordinary. Yeah, and a great performance as well. Two lovely goals. One with his head, uh, one late with his foot. And it's really pleasing to me to see Craig Goodwin playing so well because he is so talented, but he's one of those weird players where it's like he's clearly too good for the A-League, but he goes over to Europe and he's not quite there uh, because of his... I think it's more so his positioning. Uh, but he clearly has the physical skills and an understanding of the game. He just struggles to get to the spots off the ball well enough in Europe. But it's so enjoyable to see him being able to play here in Australia and play well in Australia because he is a sensational footballer. And I'm excited to see what he can do for us in that match against UAE. Hopefully he is all healthy and his wife is all healthy and there's no COVID mishaps or injury mishaps. And we can see him 
there because I think he's really now at this point shoe in for the left wing spot. Yeah, I agree. He's, I think, our best left winger at this point in time and I'd be playing him above any other options that we have. And you saw how much it meant to him in that game, I think, against Vietnam that he got his goal. He clearly loves playing for Australia and if it weren't for that COVID mishap in the last international window, I think he would have been playing both games because he really is in form and I think he helps elevate the rest of the team as well. For sure. And I mean, he also elevates the league as a whole. Yeah. Having Craig Goodwin playing so well in the A-League elevates the league as a whole. And personally, at this point in the season, my vote for Johnny Warren. Yeah, I would agree with you. He's been fantastic. Craig Goodwin, 30 years of age. Time is catching up with him a bit. So enjoy him while you last. Another player playing well in Australia. Frank Kowal, mate. Yeah. On the other end of the age spectrum, Garang Kowal. Since we last talked about him last week, he's picked up some more match minutes against Sydney and more recently, Western Sydney Wanderers. And not that we count these in the stats world, but he got a pre-assist for Dan Hall's goal. I'm secretly a big Dan Hall fan. Uh, and so it was great to see him get a goal, playing a Jay Rich Bagaloo type role as a centre-back in striker, tapping it in to equalise in the 90th minute. And Garang played that initial ball across the face of goal. So nice to see him involved in the build-up for a goal, especially after the week he's had. And it's those match minutes that are just so important for a young player to build up and have that confidence as he continues to grow as a footballer. For sure. And it's super exciting. He's another player that's just coming through that academy that Central Coast have. And it's so exciting to see so many players coming through that Central Coast academy. And Grant Kual, probably one of the best ones. I mean, Alu Kual himself has said that Grang's better than I was at that age. And he's off playing some really good football off in Germany, struggling a bit for game time now. But super encouraging to see another Kual brother come through. And hopefully he can continue to play well. Dominate the A-League maybe a bit next season. Get some really good game time and then see if he can move on after that, after cementing that spot in the first team. I also think it's great to see Central Coast being rewarded in their trust in the Kowal family. There was a tweet put out by Garang's older brother and manager who said that he can't actually list any names of teams that rejected Garang. They all wanted him, but Garang said, no, I'm a Central Coast boy through and through. And I believe that's the sentiment within the whole family is that, no, if we are going to play A-League football, we're going to Central Coast Mariners, which I think that's a pretty cool story. It is. And it's a sign of a non-Melbourne, non-Sydney team doing the right thing about developing youth, showing that, hey, we have a really positive track record of doing that, forging those community connections. And they're getting quality players out of it, like Graham Kowal, like Jacob Farrell, like Daniel Hall. And even now, they've got Jason Cummings over there, who's drawing even more fans. So it's super encouraging to see, super exciting to see. And to think that a few years ago, Central Coast were almost a laughing stock in the league to the point where they are now, where it looks like they're doing everything right. Exactly. Central Coast have a history of developing some of Australia's best players. Trent Sainsbury. Matty Ryan. Matty Ryan as well. So it's nice to see them cementing their spot as one of the feeder clubs of the league, not just to other A-League teams, but actually sending players overseas and being one of the biggest developers of Australian talent within the national team as well. So as we've said before in the show, that's really the model that Australian football clubs should be looking to take is developing young talent, sending them off overseas. And I don't know about you, but it's nice to see Central Coast doing that really well. It is. And it's a bit interesting that, you know, we have had several large clubs sniffing around Australia, sniffing around Australian clubs, obviously the largest and most well-known case being Manchester City with Melbourne City. 
it's interesting to me that there hasn't been anything made of Central Coast because they have the clearest track record. If I was an overseas investor looking to invest in Australian football, Central Coast would not be a horrible club to invest in, I don't think, because they clearly have a great plan laid out in front of them and making money selling off players is how money is going to be made in football in Australia. That's really the future of football in Australia is by selling off players. That's the biggest income earner, in my opinion. Yes, sponsorship's going to be a thing. Yes, there's going to be match day revenue. There's going to be broadcast deals, which are going to be big. Don't get me wrong. But the most reliable way for us to ensure the future of football in Australia is by developing young talent and selling them on and introducing transfer fees really between A-League clubs as well. That'll really help us, I believe, going into the future. One player with the potential to be a large, large bigger fee for one of the clubs, a club that we've already named, in fact, Adelaide United. Yes, Aaron Kunda had a bit of fun over the weekend, didn't he? He did. Obviously, the Joeys have had their talent ID camp up in Townsville. And Nesta Urunkunda, I don't know if you watched much of the game, but he absolutely dominated. He, he won a penalty and there were a number of times where he just glided through midfield and that back line without even breaking a sweat, it seemed like. He just was so dominant in that side. And it goes to show that the experience that he's had in the A-League setup has really helped him. And there's a lot of talent, don't get me wrong. There's a lot of talent, but I think having those senior experiences really helps him in these camps as well to be able to take players on because he has confidence. He knows that he's one of the best players in this nation at his age. Yeah, absolutely scintillating stuff, really, from Nesta, Iron Kunda. And I really like players that can take a player on, dribble past a player, then look to move the ball quickly. And Iron Kunda, from what we've seen, he's smart enough to pass the ball on. Too often we've seen with Australian youngsters like a Daniel Arzani in the past. They have this technical ability to get past players, but sometimes they lack the ability to choose a pass after that. But the most recent crop, Nesta Erekunda, Marco Tilio through Melbourne City, Cameron Pepwion through Sydney, and now at Brighton, all of these players and many more in Australian football were starting to see have this ability to dribble and get through tight spaces before being really intelligent and find that pass, which is something that's really going to aid us going into the future and it's something really exciting to see because I think it's going to create a lot more of exciting football in Australia but also for the national side and could be a really nice change of pace from what we're starting to see develop in the West United, in the MacArthur's where they're a bit pessimistic, they sit back once they get that goal, they kind of choke the game to death. So super exciting seeing these young players play with freedom and look to make an impact on the match in that way. Heading over to England, two players that have been on our radar for a while, both playing consistent minutes and playing pretty well. Jay Rich Bagaloo with another solid match, winning the majority of his tackles and duels, and also pretty accurate with his long balls. And then Bailey Wright as well, front page football tweeting, saying since the 25th of February, Wright has played every second of the Black Cats League One matches. That's seven games, including five clean sheets and one goal as well. So both... Centre-backs, one who's I think is maybe just past his prime. I think we've seen the best of him already in the national team. I'd love for him to prove me wrong and find another gear. And the other, he's really got a high ceiling and a massive future ahead of him. Yeah, Jay Rich Bagaloo, man. I'm a huge fan of his. Uh, I think that's been clear. He's had another really good game over in League One, uh, along with Bailey Wright, who's also playing in League One for Sunderland, who, as you said, has been 
ever-present and impactful for those teams. And two really interesting players to keep an eye on. Bailey Wright could feature um, in the upcoming squad, potentially, if he continues playing as well as he has. But, I mean, he's up, he's up for it because Saints really have been playing well. And Milos Stegenek has been playing well. And to combine it, we have a lot of other setbacks currently playing well. So it's, it's super tight out there, but Jay Roach definitely one for the future. And it will be interesting to see if he's going to be in that Oli Roo side come the under-23s Asian Cup. Because he's clearly the best centre-back, I think, of the lot of that age bracket. But it's a factor of, is he too far ahead in his senior development now, where he's more focused on his senior career as opposed to his youth career? He's at that really awkward time now. Yeah, I mean, I've not ever had to make the decision whether I represent Australia at the under-23s or whether I focus on my senior career. But I would think, surely, if you're not making the Socceroos squad, playing at the under-23 Asian Cup would be a great experience on an international level and an opportunity to get your name and your face in front of some scouts as well. I mean, it could also be a bit of a bolter for the Socceroos squad still. I mean, Ryan McGowan's in it, so... I'd personally put Jay Rich ahead of him if I was Alex the Wilkinson squad. made the squad. I probably would also pick Jay Rich. Hey, uh, two players that have been a staple of the Australian squad in recent times. Jackson Irvine, Aiden Frustich, both playing in Germany. Both playing quite well as well. Yeah, Jackson Irvine playing very, very regularly for St. Pauli in the second division as they're fighting to secure promotion up to the Bundesliga proper. However, Frustich, while in the Bundesliga, in the top flight, Struggling a bit per minute, a bit inconsistent, and it makes me wonder, does he stay, look to fight it out, guarantee those minutes, or does he potentially look for a move, maybe to a side still maybe in this Bundesliga, but a bit lower than Frankfurt, who are one of the better sides in the Bundesliga and look to get regular 90s. It's that really interesting dynamic of, well, he's playing, he's not playing often, enough as he would probably like to but is it more beneficial for his career to stay and fight for that spot or does he look to get a loan play regularly and show frankfurt what they could be having if he's playing regularly yeah it is fascinating we obviously like seeing australians play in the highest leagues and getting the most match minutes as possible so i do know that he loves frankfurt there was a feature that i believe the Socceroos did in the lead up to the last round of international fixtures where he was talking about his love for the city of Frankfurt and why he enjoys playing there. So for his sake, I hope he picks up more minutes because he really is one of those players that we need to be playing often because he's so integral to Australian football and the future, I think, of this Socceroos team. Being slightly younger than your Tom Rogic or your Aaron Moy, he's a player for the next World Cup cycle and maybe even the one after that if he can continue to play well. Yeah, I agree, man. And that's why it's such an awkward situation for the South Melbourne development boy where I'm not quite sure what the best path is, but I'm sure he's all over that. He's aware of that. And I am watching very interested in that situation, not just because of who he is, but also it's a tricky decision to make of to fight for your spot in the squad or to guarantee minutes. And it's something that can often lead to either a career really jumping to the next level or kind of stagnating. So I'm intrigued to see how it goes, but I have full faith I think he will get there and get in the right way because he has too much talent, I think, for it not to go in a positive way. 
Yeah, it seems to be that discussion of match minutes or fighting for your place in the team that has seen a number of Australian players opt to go to a country where they might be paying more and you might be getting more match minutes. And there's always a balance. Personally, I'd rather see him continue to fight it out and in a competitive team, look to make his mark in German football than pulling a Martin Boyle and going to Saudi Arabia where he'd get a great payday, but it actually wouldn't be good for his career development. It might be good for his back pocket though. Yeah, I agree with you. I agree with you. I think I'd rather see him, if he is going to move, I'd like to see him stay in the German system. Maybe look to go to a lower Bundesliga side. If he wants to go somewhere else, get more minutes, um, preferably just on a loan. But I think I do agree that I think it would be more beneficial staying and fighting because a competitive environment is ultimately the best thing in football to make yourself a better player. One player that you've just mentioned before, another centre-back, Trent Sainsbury, getting on the score sheet in Belgium. I believe he's the designated penalty taker in his side. Yeah, designated penalty taker, mate. He took one, he scored it, he did his job. And it was first goal of the game, putting his side up 1-0 against Vincent Company's side and Alex. But unfortunately, they couldn't hold on to coming to a 3-2 loss. But I mean... Scored a penalty, and maybe that could be beneficial for Australia coming up in the match against UAE. May go to pens. Who knows? So, to see a centre-back, a uh, player that's typically not known for stepping up to taking pens, stepping up to take a pen in a good game, it's always nice to see. Fair few centre-backs making news this week. Just announced Harry Souter has been given the prestigious youth award, the Dylan Tombides medal, for his contribution to youth football within the past year. A player that we haven't seen on the pitch for a little while. We saw him at the Olympics in Tokyo, and he really is an anchor down the back for us. We talked about him in previous weeks, but great to see the recognition from the PFA to give Sutar this award and a beautiful legacy that Dylan Tombides has left behind. He was playing in our youth system in Australia before he unfortunately passed away due to cancer. So as a player, what an honour that is to, to get an award like that for your contribution to youth football. It is, it is. It's heartwarming, uh, especially when it goes to a player like Harry Souter, who obviously wasn't <laughs> brought up in Australian culture very much, brought up in Scottish culture and recently joined the Australian setup. So to see him becoming so influential so quickly is something really special uh, and I think should be celebrated because it really does represent Australian culture, how everyone is welcome as long as you're here to give it a fair go and to look out for your mates and look after each other. So it's a very heartwarming story. Johnny Stensmas making news as well this week, continuing to play down in centre-back as opposed to that sixth role that he played for the Socceroos. We know that he can play both, but Viking, his club side in Norway, have chosen to play him down back, continuing to play well for his side. Yeah, 1-0 win, kept a clean sheet, and you could argue was the best player on the pitch. He was very influential um, and very confident at the back, which is something I like to see from a defender where you see them be assertive, be comfortable in that position and to make decisions rather than being uh, reactive, trying to chase and recover. So to see him play that well uh, and play on the front foot was super, super encouraging. 136 touches on the ball in 90 minutes as well. Really influential with an 87% pass completion rate. Playing as the right centre back in a back four. He was a great player, played really well and... Really played beyond his years in terms of the composure, which is super encouraging to see. And 
My goodness. Australia just continues to develop centre-backs. Which is a bit unfortunate because we need a striker, mate. <laughs> we do. We do. Last episode was all about the fullbacks. This episode, it's about centre-backs. And a player that is familiar to Australian football fans, maybe if you're a fan from the US as well, you might be familiar with this guy, Harrison Delbridge. He's now applying his trade over in Korea. And he's one of those players that I would say is tapping on shoulders of Socceroos centre-backs because I would say he's also in the mix as a third or fourth choice centre-back to get a call-up for the Socceroos in June. What do you think? Do you think his performances warrant a call-up? Especially if we have players dropping like flies like we did in this last round of fixtures? He's certainly in the conversation, mate. Left-footed centre-back, um, which is something that's really important for your balance of your back line to have a left-footed player playing at the left side of your centre-back. Slots, 193 centimetres, big, tall player, uh, is very much an aerial dual presence, but also is really tidy at intercepting and cutting out passing lanes. So Harrison Delabridge, a player that is definitely in and around that conversation. I would say if he was three, four years younger, he would be a shoe-in at that point with how well he's playing over in Korea, uh, much like well, what Alex Grant should be, in my opinion. But He's been playing well, he's been playing consistently, and ultimately, for a player, no matter the age, that's what you ask for. Playing good, consistent match minutes in a competitive league, and I would say the K1 is exactly that. So, Harrison Delbridge, he has to be noted, because even though he hasn't featured the Socceroos before, he's doing all the things needed of a player to feature for the Socceroos. Two players that have featured in Graham's most recent squad... Martin Ball picked up an assist in the Asian Champions League in his last match, interestingly playing in an attacking midfield role as opposed to out wide. And you'll find this even more shocking. Mitchell Duke on the score sheet for Okayama and his teammate Stefan Mork also jumped on the score sheet as well. Mate, has there been a glitch in the matrix? I don't know. Mitchell Duke, a player that should be scoring more goals as a striker, but he's struggled to find the back of the net for his club side and now scoring in his most recent game, and Stefan Mork, who had a nightmare start to his time in Japan, now finding the back of the net twice in the last couple of weeks. I mean, the absolute scenes, mate. Mitchell Duke scoring his fourth goal of the season and his first goal at club level since the 3rd of November. Wow. That's not great return for a striker. I mean, is he really a striker at this point? I, th- I feel like he's more of a centre-back playing at striker, which obviously we know Graham likes with Jay Rich. Uh, but, I two he- two centre-back striker references in the one episode. Wow. You're getting spoiled here. Yeah. But, I mean, he, he scored. Uh, and that's encouraging to see. I think it's even more shocking that Stefan Mork scored in the same game and got an assist, a goal and an assist for Stefan Mork who has said publicly he has aspirations for this move to prove that he should be in the Socceroos. And, I mean, if he can do that consistently, then maybe he does have some merits in what he has said. A bit off the pace right now, being 10 points from the top as Yokohama is at the top. But they're a point off the playoff places, so it'll be interesting to see how the season develops and potentially to see if Mitchell Duke and... Stefan Mork can, quote-unquote, lead that team to promotion. I think that just about wraps it up for the Aussie players performing well around the world. As we approach the end of the season, transfer rumours and transfer confirmations, we're going to begin to see more of. And as we talked about last week, Rawlins, it has been confirmed that he's going to Utrecht. Not 
for a transfer fee, but for a compensation fee or a development fee, I believe it's also called, Perth Glory may be feeling a little bit hard done by, especially when Tony Sage comes out and says, hey, we're going to be getting over a million dollars and it doesn't end up happening. Maybe that's a reflection on Perth's recent form and, and maybe Utrecht have been paying attention to the way in which Perth are going and going, actually, maybe he's not worth that much, but we still are interested in him. I'm not sure if that's the reason, to be honest. I'm probably more sure of it being due to how his contract was structured is more likely um, because compensation fees or like Australians like to call them for whatever reason, because we want to be different, developmental fees. Um, essentially, the way they work is there is a small upfront cost, but the fee gets in- incrementally larger with how many first team appearances they get, how many goals they get, how many clean sheets they get, as well as there's usually a selling fee involved. Uh, and that's regulated through this. So their current wage structure through their expiry date on their contract and also um, through their age and how many years they've been at the club. So there's a lot of moving parts in that. Um, in terms of what it would be, it's hard to predict, but typically there is usually a 10 to 20% selling fee. So there is still hope for Perth if that selling percentage is there. I'm not saying it is, but I'm saying typically compensation fees do involve that selling on fee. Uh, but there is still hope because Utrecht, known track record for developing good young players and also has a history of Australians coming through there. They were one of the teams that I like to play as on FIFA because they had three former Raw players all at the same time. Tommy Orr, they had Adam Sarota and Michael Zulo, who now all are at the tail end of their careers. I believe Sarota is playing local Queensland football. Zulo's still on the books at Sydney, and Tommy Orr playing for MacArthur as well. But there's history, obviously, Utrecht signing Australian players, and hopefully for, hopefully for Rawlins, his career turns out better than those three. And personally, I say it would. Uh, I think Rollins has a lot of potential, a lot of it. I mean, he was named in the top 60 next generation players by The Guardian last year, which is a very prestigious list. A lot of high quality names have been on that list each and every year. And he's got the body to be a footballer and he's got the play style to be a modern fullback. So I'm super intrigued to see how his career develops. But also there was a second Australian on that list crazy right because so rarely have they been on there recently but the second australian on the list mo toure also securing a move going off to france at the end of the a-league season really a league that i think suits mo toure and his play style definitely mate when i look at the french league and i see the kind of players that develop i mean jonathan david is the first player that comes to mind and when i look at mo toure and i look at what jonathan david of course the canadian has become I can't help but see similarities in their play style, the directness that they play with, their ability to get in behind the line. But what's made Jonathan David such a special player now is his ability to look to go in behind and then realize, hey, there's a better short option, and then make this sharp turn and come back towards the ball to bring in the wingers around him like Okone and the such. So I think it's a perfect league for Moture to develop his skills and to hone what he is already really good at to be even better at and potentially to add on some other really important skills and attributes to round out his game. I really think it is the perfect league for him to go to. The last two players that are potentially earning a move in the off season, Aquilina and Lewis Miller, a bit of a dance 
around the A-League sides. Aquilina is going to be going to Central Coast because Lewis Miller is potentially off to MacArthur. Inside Sport with the exclusive saying that uh, MacArthur are looking to sign Lewis Miller and Aquilina looking to get some first-team minutes at Central Coast Mariners, which would be a great move for him because, as we said at the start of the episode, Central Coast love playing young players. I really like the move for Aquilina. Um, not so much for Lewis Miller. I think he, it, it's a bit of a risky one for him. Um, I'm not too high on Lewis Miller to begin with uh, and then potentially going to MacArthur, who have shown so far in their short A-League history a track record of signing bigger names, signing older players. Uh, I don't think it's going to be the best thing for him personally, but for Aquilina, who I rate higher than Lewis Miller personally, I think it is a really, really nice move. And if Jacob Farrell stays, if Kai Roll stays, if Daniel Hall stays, my goodness, is that going to be a fun back four to watch next year? It will be young, exciting. I'm saying it right now. It could be the future of the Socceroos back four playing for Central Coast. How good would that be to get them playing alongside one another, building experience? Central Coast Mariners, I think, are the team to watch next year. I mean, I think they've been the team to watch this year. So if they're the team to watch next year, my goodness, they will be even more exciting, which is going to be great viewing for the league. Yeah, totally agree. As those players get a little bit older, get more match minutes in their legs, build that game experience, which is so important as a defender, it's going to be exciting. For sure, mate. And as they get more time under their belts, they'll only go from strength to strength. And the game in Australia will just get better and better. And I'm truly hopeful. And I truly believe that's the direction that Australian football is going. Well, that about wraps it up for this episode. Thanks so much for listening. We'd love to hear from you. Any thoughts you have about the future of Australian football, get in touch with us on socials, Instagram, TikTok, and Twitter, at SoccerWhoSPod, and email, if that's more your thing, SoccerWhoSPod at gmail.com is where you can get in touch with us. We'll be back next week with another episode, episode 19 of the Soccer Who's Pod. Catch you then.